Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Vivian. Wow, I'm Vivian. I'm a compulsive overeater. First, I want to thank Atusa and Lucy for asking me to speak at a meeting and to qualify since, wow, I usually don't have to speak for this long. I used to speak for this long a long time because I've been here a long time. I, I became abstinent in 1983, so it's now been 27 years. And I, my abstinence is I was completely addicted to sugar. And so my abstinence, just to keep it really easy, I... I kept it really easy. I checked it out with my sponsor. For anyone who doesn't know what a sponsor is, it's someone who's already in the program and has something that you want, Like, has, especially if they've been able to overcome something like a compulsive reading disease, and you see, wow, they make a lot of sense, and they used to have my problem. So I asked my sponsor, like, what should my abstinence be? And I said, I like this diet dressing. It was creamy cucumber from Kraft. And sugar was the fourth ingredient on it. And so that became my sugar abstinence. Um, sugar is the fourth ingredient. And at that time, nobody used to ask, you know, what's in the label? You know, we're talking a long time ago. And I, I felt very embarrassed. <laughs> um, and I would ask waitresses, and I would count on labels, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Now everybody, at least in California, if you're, I don't know where you're listening to this, too, you may also uh, be embarrassed along with me. <laughs> but in California, people will ask about, what is in this food? Where is it? Can you have it this way or that way? But it was unusual then. But I was willing to go to any lengths. Because when I came here, I, I was very lucky in that my disease was bad. I had been a compulsive overeater since I could remember. Um, I remember when I was five years old, sitting, or definitely before seven, because I was in, I was born in New York City, and we were still living there. And I would eat pickles and potato chips just nonstop, like one hand pickle. I like the, the sour and the potato chips. And then just zone out watching television. So, I mean, I would just zone out that way. Food just does it for me. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I also, I always loved sweet things. I'd go into a restaurant and I'd, I'd want to know where's the dessert menu. You know, and I'd plan my meal around the dessert menu. <laughs> I even. Oh, what can I say? I mean, I, I, I remember being at a birthday party when I was maybe 9 or 10 and asking for two pieces of cake and then asking for a third piece of cake. And I remember the, the woman whose mother it was, the mother talked to my mom, and then my mom talked to me, and, like, you really shouldn't ask for, like, three pieces. That's really pretty awful. And I was a little, I was a little embarrassed, but, it, you know, nothing could stop me because this disease is unstoppable. You know, if you have it, like... Like I do. So when, and even when I was a normal weight, I have to say, even when I was in high school, and I remember I was a size five in high school, and that was like a good, considered a good weight, but I thought, I, I just still didn't think I was thin enough. No matter what weight I got to, I couldn't see myself as looking good. That's another part of disease, the disease, the self deception. I remember, uh, I remember being in college and being at an Ann Taylor, and I had on this pink and black silk outfit. And I looked in the mirror, and I thought I looked pretty good. I was like, oh, I, lo- I don't look so bad. And so I decided to look again. 
you know, and then the second time I looked, I was like, okay, my butt's too big, you know, like I could find flaws because it wasn't okay. I was sort of afraid that if I was happy with how I looked, I wouldn't have the, um, just the, the energy to fight off this compulsive overeating disease, that I thought that I had to sort of beat myself up in order to keep it away. Um, but that didn't really work. So I, I was just, I just sort of kept eating more and more. I went, um, when I studied, um, I, I did a study abroad program, and I would go from restaurant to restaurant, you know, having lunch at different places, because nobody knows. You know, you just go order lunch early at one place and then go for the later lunch at another place. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to pastry stores and get food there. And I just, did I tell anybody that I did this? Of course not. You know, this is a secret disease. But, but of course, I kept putting weight on. And I, and when, when I wake up in the morning, I'd think, what, was I good yesterday or was I bad? Now, that didn't mean did I help people yesterday. <laughs> yeah. That didn't mean was I, did I pray. Or was I a service? That just meant, did I starve myself? Or did I feel like I ate too much? That was how I measured good and bad and whether I had a good day or not. And usually it was that, no, I wasn't good yesterday. You know, I wasn't able to starve myself. Yeah, I I had wished that I could be like anorexic. I really, although now that I've been here, I know that's really not fun either. But the most that I was able, I remember one time I was able to not eat for two or three days. I can't remember what it was. But, of course, after that, you just start eating again, you know, and and so the cycle goes over and over and over. When I got to Los Angeles, I came here because somebody that I knew uh, that I had gone to school with lived here. I never had any desire to come to California at all. In fact, I had sort of an East Coast um, idea of it that I sort of sneered at them, like, like, oh, the brainless people. I sort of thought it was like all in Venice Beach where people were... Um, juggling um, motorcycles, uh, or not motorcycles, but chainsaws, like you, which you can actually see. You can find this element if you look for it. And it's fun to bring people from the East Coast to Venice Beach because that's what you think it's like a lot of times. But it's not all like that. I, As soon as I got here, I loved it because I felt an atmosphere of acceptance for everything. Like whatever you want to do here is fine. They love things that are new in California, which is so different from most places can't stand change, and they only want to stick to the old stuff. California is completely the opposite. They want it. what's the new idea? What's the latest new thing? They're always shedding stuff and coming up with new things. And I like the freedom that I felt with that. So I ended up staying here. I, I mean, I came back later, and I ended up rooting myself here. I thought I'd stay for a year or two, and... I went to, I started working. I, I had absolutely, although I was good in school, I had no self-confidence in myself for work. I didn't think I knew how to do work at all. There were many people who couldn't wait to get out of school because they couldn't wait to work. I was the opposite. I wanted to stay in school as long as possible because I didn't think I, I could make it out there in the world of work. And so I, I graduated from a very good school, but I got this job working for a cable TV company, and they, it was such, I've, I've always sort of found my own level with wherever I am in life. This job was so sort of crazy. You could come in as late as you want, and like, then I would just leave later, and I don't even know what i do. I think I think I pretty much called the phone company all day for people that were calling, complaining about this cable company, because all they did was have problems. But I met a woman there who was in Overeaters Anonymous. She was, her name was Barbara Z. She was very, very funny. She was a 100-pounder. 
um, which means, for those of you who don't know, that she had lost over 100 pounds. Now, she was still very heavy. She was still over 200 pounds easily, but she had lost 100 pounds. She was just uh, one of the funniest people I'd ever met. Um, she had been in a movie with one of her, with her husband, with Popeye, and she was just, I had a really great time with her. I just thought she was a really cool person. And she was about 10 years older than I was. It was unusual that we struck up a friendship because I was so immature that I pretty much never struck up friendships with people older than me, but we did. And she said to me one day, you, you want to go to a play and then to an Alcoholics Anonymous dance. Do you want to go to an AA dance with me? And I just thought, what a bizarre thing to go to. Like, yes. Like, anything that was strange and unusual, I wanted to go to. I was, I was young and trying to, like, fill up my life, my dance card with, like, strange things. Like, I wanted to have, live. Like, let me do something different, unusual, anything. Wow, that's a great idea. And I just thought it would be like this bare light bulb uh, in a room, dark dark room with uh, a bunch of men in raincoats shuffling back and forth. <laughs> but I thought I'll go check it out with her. And that morning, um, I also, having moved from the East Coast, I didn't have a car. Which a lot of people in the East Coast don't have a car because the transportation is much better and spaces are smaller, frankly. This is like, you know, California. Los Angeles is like as big as a state back east. I mean, it's big. So here, you, here people need a car, but I didn't know that. So I was on the bus, and I met this guy in the morning. He was this very cute guy, got on the bus, and he asked me what time it was. So I told him, and then he sat down, and guess who was at the AA dance that night? <laughs> that very same guy. <laughs> Out of all the millions of people in Los Angeles, this very same cute guy was at the AA dance. And so I said, were you on the bus? He was like, yeah, yeah. So he asked me to dance, and then, the next, and then he asked me, would you like to go on a date? <laughs> I asked him on an AA date, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I will get to the overeater, too, but this is how I got here. And I go, sure, because that was just another strange thing to go to. Like, wow, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, how bizarre. Yeah, sure, of course, I'd love to go with you. And we dated for a little while, and then he poked me in the, in the hips one day, and he said, you need to go to OA. Yeah. And I tell you, if you're, if you're like me, I didn't even feel offended because I was still eating to cover up my feelings. Like, I'm sure later I felt offended and had like 10 donuts, but <laughs> at the time, when he poked me, I was just like, okay, you know, there's a place for us, so there's a place for people like me, like, great. I knew, I knew that program worked. I knew that, I, I can only say I must have known about Alcoholics Anonymous through the television because I did not know anybody who was in AA, and yet I knew that it had been around for a long time and it worked. So when he said there was a, a counterpart for food, Overeaters Anonymous, I just knew it was going to work. And I started attending meetings, and at my very first meeting, even though Barbara Zee, my first, the person who became my first sponsor and my friend, she didn't think that I had a problem because she was a 100-pounder. She couldn't see that someone with 20 pounds like had a problem with 20 pounds to lose. But later she was convinced. Um, <laughs> um, we, I didn't get here by accident. I, I still remember my first meeting. It was in like a nursery school or kindergarten classroom. There were all these tiny little seats that we were all sitting on. <laughs> and that meeting isn't there anymore. And I remember even my first share. I shared like, oh, I used to go to the grocery store and like just eat. I were not used to. I go. I, would, I would go to the grocery store. And I eat my way through. I figure that's a good way to save money. <laughs> like, you don't have to pay for lunch or dinner or whatever meal you're on. And everyone 
smiled and laughed and said, you know, keep coming back. And But they did it in a way that they knew what I was talking about. <laughs> I knew that I was home. I was like, wow, these people are just like me. And because I knew from the beginning that I had no power over food or else I would be skinny. Yeah, I did not want to be heavy. I did not want to even be 20 pounds heavier. I'm very vain. And I wanted to wear really nice clothes, and I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So it was like a no-brainer for me, the first step of we're powerless over food and our lives are unmanageable. No, no problem admitting I'm powerless over food. My life is unmanageable. To me, that was like sort of a meaningless phrase. Like, I don't even know what you mean by that. But if, if that's all I have to say in order to get all this help, you know, fine. My life is unmanageable. What's next? And, uh, and it's amazing to me that some people just didn't even want to say that phrase, and they stopped themselves from getting all this help. It's like, you know, who cares? <laughs> yeah, like, just say the phrase. Do the next thing. <laughs> And uh, the second part was harder. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity and made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Well, when I came here, I was an agnostic. I, I, did, not, I did not disbelieve in God, but I didn't believe in God either. I felt like it was, it was something that, um, it was quite arguable. Like, it was something you could argue about in college. And like, here's, there's pro, here's the pro argument for there's God. There are um, immutable laws of the universe, you know, the laws of gravity, um, you know, Einstein theory, things like that. How does that happen by chance? Yeah, good question. You know, how is there not some overall power over that? And then the, the arguments against God. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do they happen to babies? Why do they happen to faultless people? And, you know, also good arguments. So I really didn't want to, I didn't want to argue that anymore, but my sponsor told me that, she just wanted me to start praying anyway. She called it acting as if. Like, I would call that being a hypocrite. <laughs> so it never, ever would have occurred to me ever to do that. And I felt ridiculous praying. Um, although they also said, which was very helpful, that the group itself can be your higher power because the group itself has more power than me alone to help me with my disease. Now, that made a lot of sense because everybody in the groups of Overeaters Anonymous was very encouraging and helpful to me. And I felt the same for them. It was like we applaud each other's triumphs and we gather around each other when, when we're in bad times. So that made sense. And I, I just did what she said. I just I started praying and I remember I still remember walking out of Cafe Casino one day when which was a local hangout that a lot of people in OA used to go to and because they had very healthy food, but they also had a big pastry tray. Um window, glass thing, it was huge, <laughs> and I, I walked in, I was still taking the bus, and so if I was waiting for my bus, it was on my bus stop, I walked in, and I really wanted a pastry, and I hadn't started yet, and when you're, if you're new, if you haven't started yet, you know, you think, well, what do I have to lose, you know, just the, you know, the hours of today, so it's sort of, you're like, when's my first day going to be, and I walked in, I really wanted a pastry, and I thought, okay, okay, oh God, please let me not eat the pastry. Something really simple like that, I said to myself. And I ended up, I didn't, it's not, not like I didn't want a pastry, but I walked out. I walked out, and that was the first day. And, and you know, God willing, it's been one day at a time. Thank God they had this whole one day at a time thing, too, because I could ask myself, Do, is it okay with me if I don't eat sugar today? And it was. It was like, it's okay with me if I don't have sugar today. That's really okay. But if it was years from now, like, no, even Barbara had to say to me, maybe you'll be able to take it back later. Maybe after a month you'll find out you can do it. And I thought, really? I said, really, Barbara? Really? Because <laughs> I didn't think I'd be able to do it. So 
if you're struggling and you think your disease is so bad that you cannot do it, that you won't be able to do it, I actually think you're sort of lucky because you're like me. I, I thought it was so awful that there was no way I was going to be able to do it, but I also thought I have to do this because I'm so bad that I can't survive out there the way I am. I can't go on without something to help me. You know, I didn't have any, I wasn't one of these people that was able to sometimes be okay and then other times have a problem. It was every single day. So I just did whatever they told me. I got, um, I became a secretary of a beginner's meeting. I went to oh, many meetings a week. And I, I started my new life over. And since this is a nice long meeting, go over the, the highlights of what I've learned since then. Um, the, one of the first things is I learned a good work attitude. When I came here, I had a really, a really bad attitude. My attitude was uh, that I had this big ego, but I didn't have any confidence in myself. I, I, I thought, I am so much smarter than all of you here at work, but please don't give me anything harder to do than Xerox a piece of paper <laughs> because I don't think I can do it. <laughs> And that was really the way I felt. And my sponsor said to me, and this is, if anybody's having trouble in work, this has served me through my entire work life. Just two things she told me to do. And she said, here, I want you to just do these two things. Get, um, get to work on time and smile. That's it. Get to work on time and smile. The first year I started doing that, I got an award for being a good employee. <laughs> that was equal to about 20% of my tiny little salary. <laughs> but that was a ton of money. It was like, oh, my God, this works. Because when you're smiling all the time, you can't buy into negativity. And, and when they would say, you know, I learned how when you take commitments at meetings, for anybody who doesn't know what a commitment is, it's a little job at a meeting. Uh, you do, like, I mean, it's not like... It's not going to take a lot out of your day, but it gets you to the meeting. And I learned, I learned to take that cheerfully. So every time they said, would you like to do, you know, X, Y, Z, I'd love to. And I was smiling the whole time and doing everything. And that's what contributed to them thinking I was such a good employee. And I always used to get there like five, ten minutes late. I'm somebody who loves to be some, everywhere ten minutes late. I really don't like to get anywhere on time. It really goes against my grain. But I got there on time, and they noticed. So... I got better and better and better jobs the whole time from the whole time. Now I'm presently not working, but every every job I got was a better job than the one before. I think just building on this. Another thing that really helped me a lot was my relationship with my parents. I had a real especially my relationship with my mom was terrible. My mom and I were very much alike. I think we're both very strong headed. We're both very um, sort of we don't want to give an inch. She, um, she, she has her opinion, and there's no room for any other opinions in the room unless it's her opinion. And so if I had an opinion, which I often did, she would try and squelch it. She would try and squelch it. So we, we didn't get along. She, she's somebody that likes, likes you to follow along with whatever she feels is the thing to do. And for a long time, I thought she was like, and she's a very smart woman, and, um, and now we get along very well, and I think she's actually very funny, but... At the time, we would almost come to fighting words, but that would never happen because that just doesn't happen in our family. Nobody yells at each other, but we just get to just up to that, and it was very uncomfortable. And all I would ever do, uh, here's my part, because they always say, you know, what is your part? I mean, if you ever do a 10-step, what's your part? I would just call up and ask them for money. I mean, that's all I would do. I didn't even, I wasn't a good daughter. I didn't call up and ask them 
how were they? I didn't call up and uh, this is what my sponsor suggested. She said, why don't you find a few things from your life that you can tell them that are non-controversial and you don't have to stay on the phone for a long time and like five, ten minutes and, and just call up and ask how they are and tell them a little about your life and then hang up. And I was like, wow, what do I say to them? I really had no idea how to talk to my parents because they had never talked to me like that before, like like a friend almost, and I had never talked to them like that. And I have to tell you, little by little, this worked. I I started mending the relationship because my mom was really angry at me. My dad was more, wasn't really involved in our little fight. He was sort of on the sidelines with this. But my mom was really angry at me, and I was really angry at her. And little by little for me, just calling up and, and never asking for money anymore because they taught me to be self-supporting through my own contributions. As scary as that was, I actually was able to do it. I didn't think I was going to be able to. So many things I tried in this program I did not think I, would, I could do until they told me, you have to do this. And I just tried it. I just sort of like jumping into the God net. Okay. And suddenly you find out, wow, I'm able to do this. And there was one point where I thought, when I was mending my relationship with her, that I thought that I needed to tell her all the things, especially a couple of key things that I thought she had done wrong in bringing me up. And I talked this over, you know, this over with a sponsor. Like, I thought, I really wanted to tell her that it had really been bad that she had, had not wanted me to be who I was, that she wanted me to do, like, sort of what she had wanted to do, but had never done you know, as, a, as an adult growing up, she became a housewife. She wanted me to go to business school because she wished she had gone to business school. She wanted me to be to do something practical. She wanted me to do all things that she wanted to do. She didn't say, Vivian, what do you like, and let's nurture that. So I wanted to tell her that she had done that wrong. <laughs> and and I prayed about it. And I, I prayed and I prayed, and I went, and I went back home because I still live back east. And I kept praying, and it just never felt like the right time to do it. It just never felt inside like the right thing to right time to say it. And then I that that visit ended and I came home and I realized that that wasn't the way to go about it. Really what I needed to do it was something that I needed to forgive her and to forgive in myself that had nothing to do with her, that bringing up with her would have been just a really bad idea and would have put our relationship back many steps where it, is, it had taken years for it to, to get good. It would have put it like in one blow. It would have put it like back to where I'd started. And I was able to realize that and sort of make peace with it. It's like I'm the one who has to just accept that and move on. And today we have a really good, really good relationship. In fact, I'm going to go visit them for two weeks in a few days, and when I see them now, and I used to avoid going home to see them. I would never go home during the holidays. I would always go to another country. That was my solution. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to Colombia. Yeah. You know, I'll be in uh, the Canary Islands. You know, I, I always timed for whenever there was a holiday. So I felt like this is really covering up that I couldn't go home. I'm sure, I'm sure she sort of got the message, but she was... They were very good about it. They didn't They didn't say anything. It's just like, okay, they didn't bug me about it or anything like that. And now, today, they come and stay with me for two weeks, and now I'm going to stay with them for two weeks, and we actually have a great time, and they're an incredible lot of help to me. Like, they're extremely helpful. Like, we get so many things done, and I just, I really enjoy spending time with them, which is 
something you don't often hear in a lot of these meetings, and it wasn't the way I felt when I first started. And and I think working the steps along this um, is really, I'm sure that's what got me there. Another thing I'd like to talk about, which is sort of where I am now, is relationships, um, which I think is absolutely the absolute romantic relationships. I, I'm pretty good with um, with friends. I've always had very good friends. I've been blessed with very, very good friends. But romantic relationships always been the hardest thing. I think that's like the ultimate. If you're if you're good at relationships, you're you've really passed the, the highest bar. <laughs> and, and it was it's funny. Like right now, like I did when I first started coming here, I really had train wreck type of encounters with men. I I didn't. I would count on a calendar, like how many days there were. I'd like cross it off, like one day, two days. I didn't know how to make them last. It was like <laughs> it always just seemed to explode. And I and it was like there's usually a beginning and middle and end to every story, but I didn't see where it was. All I saw was the beginning. We met, and the end. They said goodbye, and like what happened? I didn't even know what happened. And I started. I started going to another program for this. Because someone, someone suggested to me that I do this. I'm always happy to go to school, which is a lot of what I think this is. This is sort of a school for, you know, what do I not know how to do? What do I need teachings in? You know, I'm happy to go take a graduate course somewhere else, which in this case is another program. And it, it did teach me how, how um, I was just in love with being, uh, with being in love. And also I wasn't giving this to God. This was the biggest problem. This was something that I wanted so much that I refused to give it to God. I refused. I, I consciously refused. I remember, I remember when they said it, when my sponsor told me I had to give things to God. I remember how easily I gave work up, like, <laughs> and I was surprised because I was always so ambitious and I worked really hard. So I was surprised how easily I was like, "Yes, God, you can have this," and how quickly I progressed in that. But in relationships, I thought, well, if God doesn't want me to have a husband, then I don't want to do this, so he can't have it. And I, uh, disaster followed, absolute disaster. I just, I, what can I say? It was, it was just like I was telling you. There was really not much to talk about. Oh, they were all, there was always something wrong. Uh, they were too young, or they were gay, you know, there was, a, and it was like a big pink elephant in the room that was, it seemed like only I couldn't see. Anyway, I finally, I finally realized, you know, God couldn't do any worse than I had. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, you'd have to go really far down to go worse than I had. Why didn't I give him a chance? <gasps> give him a year or two, see how he does. So I gave it to God, and in this case, it was a surrender. And surrender to me. That can be a, a confusing word or sort of a mysterious word for people. For me, surrender is, it feels like, oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> like, I don't care anymore. You know, it was like that. I didn't, I remember I actually got sick when I realized I, there, I was going to this other program. There was one person, by the way, I'm still going to OA this whole time, you know, but, and still abstaining all this whole time, but this is, this is something I needed outside help in. And I remember I realized I wasn't going to marry this guy. And I got it when I, because I thought I was going to marry everybody. I would meet a guy at a bar and think I was going to marry him. I mean, I seriously thought that. It was, it was bad. It was, I had just a lot of fantasy thinking. 
and I got sick. I actually got so physically sick I had to go to the hospital when I realized I wasn't going to marry this guy. And, and I'm not kidding. I was in the hospital for a few days, and he postponed breaking up with me until after I was in the hospital. I think he felt bad about it. And when he did break up with me, suddenly, like, something shifted in me. And I'm sure it was from working a program because I was taught in here, for anyone who's new and anyone around the world, boy, Work the program as hard as you can, which for me meant they told me get a sponsor, get commitments, do a fourth step. Um, I did that in this other program. Do ten steps. Um, call your sponsor every day. I did all of that stuff. So because I'd done all this work and I was attending um, meetings regularly, something shifted inside of me. And suddenly I just didn't care. I just didn't care. And I didn't want to tell you my story anymore and I didn't want to hear yours. I just, I was, when, someone, when someone asked me out, I just, I just want to see if we can just even get along. Like, I don't even want, I don't want to hear much about you. I'm not going to tell you much about me because I'm too tired. <laughs> and I really don't, you know, most of these things don't go anywhere, so I don't really want to expend that much energy on you. <laughs> And that's exactly what it felt like. And so it went a lot slower. And I, I didn't know how many things I used to keep alive just by calling the other person. I really did not know how many things were actually dead that I revived all of my own. And they told me, you don't, you don't have to call. You don't have to call back. You, you have to do anything. I was like, well, that was something new. And when I stopped, I would have thought that was rude. Like, like, how can I not call back? How can I not call? Like, it's just the way I thought um, pretending to believe in God was being a hypocrite. But they taught me new ways. This is why I go to meetings, because I'm going to school to learn the new ways, because the old ways aren't working. And and I remember I met this, I met this one, my, my late husband. He's now sadly deceased, but we had an excellent, excellent marriage. We were together 10 years. I remember I met him. I met him at... Um, I met him somewhere, and he's, where did I meet him? I don't remember. <laughs> but he, he, he said, I don't know, he said, I'll call you or you call me. I go, all right. So I thought, I'm not going to call him. And he didn't call. I was like, eh, whatever. I just, like, went on. And then later, I met him by chance somewhere else. And he said, why didn't you call me? And I said, no, you said, either I'll call you or you call me. He goes, oh, I forgot. <laughs> and and then ask me out again. So this teaches me that it's absolutely true. If something is meant to be, it will just happen. I did not reach for it at all. I just let myself be present. And it just so happened to that, that I happened to see him at this other event. And we ended up dating and marrying. We had a fantastic relationship. And and right now, I'm in a... I, I'm in a relationship with someone that I don't think it's going to work out. And I've, I, again, started working my other program on this and going to, and it makes me want to eat. And I actually think I've been struggling with my weight for the last year and a half, and I'm, I'm almost certain it's because I don't know whether to be in this relationship or not. And, but they also tell me, don't force the solution. So I've been doing a lot of work and inventories and talking to sponsors and going to meetings and, getting commitments and doing all that stuff in order to make sure I'm clean um, when this, if and when this goes away. But it definitely seems like it's going that way. And it's sad. It's sad, sad, sad. But, but if it's not working, it's not working. You know, what are you going to do? 
and and today I have the the awareness, the dignity to when we if not when I end this or he ends it because I guess you never know. It's going to be done cleanly because I've I've. I haven't done anything that I'll be ashamed of. In fact, I'll be really proud of myself, and it's going to be really, really hard. And I'll probably have to go to a meeting every day just for the loneliness because we've been together um, almost four years. But this is how the program works. It's like you go through it on the good times and the bad times. And if I weren't here, I would just be eating over it and not even know what's going on. I probably wouldn't even be with him because I just did not know how to do relationships. And I feel like I definitely have learned now. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot, and I have to thank all of you. And I, I want to take questions if anybody has questions. So I'm just going to leave it here. And thank you very much. Keep coming back. Can you tell us a little bit about how you went from the sort of agnostic that Yes. I love that question. I'm going to repeat the question. Um, gentleman who just took the chip wants to know how I went from being an agnostic that I didn't really believe in God to then believing in God. Correct? What happened for me is when I used to go to church, I just thought it was before program. I just thought it was boring. and I, I thought it was those two sides of the question, you know, the, the for or against, the good arguments for and against. So I didn't want to talk about it anymore. But when I came to program, they gave me a practical way to put God in my life. And they said to me, um, my sponsor and others, just pray for it. Pray for the right actions. Pray for God to give you the right thoughts, words, and actions when you go into a situation that you're not sure what to do. Pray, even after talking to your sponsor, doing footwork, just pray about it. And you know what? I started doing that, and things turn out better. Most of the, you know, pretty much all of the time when I do that. And I thought, you know, if this is a controlled experiment, here I am. Before, I didn't ask God for help. Now I am asking God for help. Things are turning out better, and I feel better. This can't be a coincidence. It's happening too many times. If it were a coincidence, sometimes it wouldn't work. So that was how I sort of came, came to it. And also now sometimes I see I see things like just seeing that, that guy on the bus, I, I look at things differently now. Just seeing that guy on the bus in the morning and then later at the AA dance, I, now I see it's God's hand to get me into the program, whereas before I just thought it was a coincidence. And that's from just working it and it works better that way. So try it. Thank you. Uh, how do you have a loving plan of exercise as part of your recovery? Okay, uh, the question is, how do I have a loving plan of exercise part of my recovery? First of all, I have never found that exercise ever lost weight with me. I was, I, never. Because I would always somehow subconsciously eat more without trying to. So it never lost weight for me. But I do have sort of a bad back. Like if I don't exercise and stretch, I feel it. So that's really where my exercise plan comes from. It's just like trying to make my back feel better. So I do... Um, for me, I found that I used to run. I also, I, I tried to get as much out of exercise as possible. I found that a cardio thing with weights works for me. I do it like four times a week. I swear to God, if I didn't have um, back problems, I would probably exercise less. I really, I really just do it for the health of it because it just never worked for me. With, um, to me, that was like 
trying to control and enjoy my eating. It just never worked for me to lose weight to do exercise. I'm wondering if you would mind sharing what that other program was and how it was your eating, your body image, your program here at OA. Okay. The okay. uh, question was, what was the, uh, the other program, the relationship program, that one? Okay. And how it helped with body image and how an OA, OA, how it helped with OA. Okay, the other program is Al-Anon. And it just happened that when when I read step one, it says we were trying to, um, I, was, I was in love with falling in love. I was just, I was completely obsessed with falling in love. And I remember, I, I still have my, my 12 and 12 from Al-Anon where I crossed out all the parts and put, you know, obsessed with falling in love and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was the way I saw it. I was not able, I, for me, it was like relationships anonymous, really. I, I'm not involved with alcoholics. I, I, pretty, I am the alcoholic. I have, <laughs> I have three diseases, whereas they like to call it here, you're a triple winner. But, um, and I go to programs for all of them. I was able to, like body image, that's just gotten better and better the longer I've been here. Like I'll look in the mirror and I'll go, I'm not perfect. And I go, ah, oh well, tried my best. <laughs> and then just sort of move on. Whereas before it was much, you know, there's no more of that standing in front of the mirror and going, ah, what am I going to do? Like that's like over. It's really over. <laughs> and I think that's just from tenure in the program. But as I was here in a way and also in AA, and I just wasn't getting any better in the relationship category. And then um, Liz T. just happened to say to me, you act like an Al-Anon, except you don't get involved with alcoholics. And I was like, I do? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> and that's what started me on that. Like, so there you go. Um, thank you so much. Um, you talked about your changing relationship with God. Uh, after all this time and recovery, how do you practice step 11? Um, the question is, I talked about my changing relationship with God. After all the time, how do I practice step 11? And now let's look at step 11. Thought through prayer and meditation <coughs> to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him. What praying. Is the meditation part? Oh, the meditation part. Well, I have to be honest with you. I'm not good at meditation. I am not good at meditation. But I have been so convinced through hardships in my life, especially, and mostly I have a very good life, but especially when my husband died. That was just such incredible pain that is indescribable. It's not comparable to anything. I can't describe it to anybody. It's comparable only to losing a spouse. That I don't want to give myself any more pain by my self-will. Zero. I mean, there are some things I have to go through that are painful, like the death of a spouse, the death of a parent. I can also go through self-created pain from self-will. I don't want to do that anymore at all. So whatever God wants me to do with... Um, John, my current fiance, with, you know, anything in my life, with friends, parents, anything I want to do, because I am convinced, I used to think that I could have a better plan, or I'd be more satisfied with the plan that I had for me than possibly God did. I don't think that anymore. I think that anything that is against God is going to give me more pain in the end. I may feel a, a, a rush for it for a minute, but I think in the end it's going to give me more pain, and so... That's really how my relationship has changed. I used to, there was a time where I did meditate in the morning and it did, and I haven't done it in a long time, but it did ease my mood the whole rest of the day. I would just read from the 12 and 12 to St. Francis prayer for like five minutes and just meditate the way they say to. And I noticed that things affected me less all day. Things just didn't get on my nerves as much. 
So it works, but I haven't worked meditation in a while. But that's how it's changed. I just accept it much more. God's will. Go God's will. What is your, how do you define your abstinence and what is your food plan? Okay, how do I define my abstinence and what is my food plan? Um, I am abstinent from sugar. I define sugar, that as being absent from sugar, the fourth ingredient, can be the fourth ingredient or more um, on any, any prepared food. Um, number one, two, or three cannot be honey, brown sugar, cane sugar. I really, I even tried honey once because I never even used to like honey. I thought, let me try, maybe, yeah, maybe. And I was sucking on that honey bag <laughs> after like two or three weeks. It was, it's sad. It's sad. <laughs> so, so that is how I define it. And it's, it's been simple enough that I can be completely imperfect, but that's, that is light years away from the way I used to be. Thank you very much.